Hi, everyone. This is Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs, and as always, where we push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Lori Olford, here with you again for another enthralling and thought-provoking episode. Thank you all for joining us, whether you are one of our regular listeners or someone tuning in for the first time. As always, we're really glad to have you here with us. So welcome, everyone. And Lori, how are you doing? You know, it, it seems that there are a good number of people out there who are responding well to our last show in which we had an interview with your brother-in-law, Larry. Yeah, hey, Joe. I'm doing well. And uh, you're right. Our last topic had a good reception from our listeners as we talked to Larry, or Lar, as I call him, uh, who is a conservative Christian and who had a UFO encounter many years ago. And when he was on the show, we had the, the chance to ask him questions, not only about the encounter, but also about how he was able to go throughout his life and incorporate that into his personal faith. So if you haven't listened to it yet, we encourage you to check it out. Uh, for some, it may prove to be inspirational as it, it uh, deals with the question, can you believe in extraterrestrial life and at the same time be a Christian? From what we've learned from speaking with Lar, it seems that the answer is yes. Um, indeed, you can. And for sure. You know, I, I don't find that to be too surprising. Uh, anyone who sincerely desires to explore their own beliefs of any religion that they may follow uh, will have to come to terms, at least on some level, that you know those beliefs come from ancient stories. And those ancient stories involve fantastic things being seen up in the sky or coming down from the sky. Really, when you think about it, religion and sightings kind of go hand in hand. Uh, many people who are Christian believers will testify to witnessing some type of spiritual mystery, perhaps like an out-of-body vision or an angelic visitation. And I, I guess it just depends on how they label it, whether as a divine miracle or as an extraterrestrial encounter. It's not difficult to see how they can be construed as one and the same thing, with the only thing being different between the two are how the versions are given by the storytellers themselves. So, yes, definitely listen to that one if you haven't already. Uh, it's a very interesting discussion. Yeah, and we actually decided to do this episode based on one of the points that was brought up in the previous one, and that is the strange circumstance of missing time that often plagues folks who are said to have reported UFO encounters. Uh, this is particularly the, the case when we're talking about an alien abduction. Uh, the people who claim to have had this happen to them commonly have one or more significant gaps in their memories. They're unable to account for things that have happened during certain periods of time. Now, Lara mentioned to us uh, in the interview that both he and his friend could not remember walking down to the beach after seeing the object in the sky, uh, but they could recall walking back from it. So they knew that they were down on the beach and obviously knew that they had you know, gotten there somehow, but do not actually remember how they did. That part of the whole experience is missing from their memories. Right. Missing time should more correctly be called missing memory of time, as nothing happens to the space-time continuum to cause pieces of it to go missing. It's more like lost pages from a book in which something in the story does happen on those pages, but the evidence of it is not there. It's really missing memory or a missing record. So we want to be clear in explaining what missing time is not. Uh, it is not forgetfulness, nor is it the inability to recall something from our memories. Uh, that is all normal and quite commonplace. Everyone has had things happen in their past in which they have completely forgotten about them and will most likely never remember them, especially the very minute details of those events, 
Uh, there is nothing strange or unusual about that at all. Uh, missing time involves more of a person's difficulty in accounting for uh, anything that had happened within a, a certain time frame. And it is starkly noticeable in the processes of short-term memory uh, as opposed uh, to long-term memory. Um, in short-term memory, our recollections are normally pretty acute and accurate. Now, obviously, as time goes on, the ability to recall memories usually becomes more difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, if you were to ask me uh, what I was doing on this date one year ago, I would have some trouble remembering it, especially if it had to do with the specifics, like what I was wearing or what I had for dinner. If you ask me what I was doing on this date one month ago, I might still have some trouble recalling the specific details, but it would be easier for my memory to be jogged so that I probably could remember it. That being because the information from one month ago is more relevant to the mental processes taking place in my mind right now than are the ones from a year ago. However, it would still require what is called a cue, and I still probably wouldn't remember everything. And sure, our memories are not perfect. And like you said, the ability to recall them has a lot to do with the relevance and the necessity to the psyches on, in a normal day or you know, day-to-day functioning of the mind. We'll, we'll remember things if we deem them important enough to remain in our pre-conscious thoughts or else have been you know, mentally impacted enough by them that the subconscious retains them for long-term memory. Uh, we can make a deliberate and voluntary effort to remember significant events like weddings and childbirths, and uh, certainly we remember traumatic things like deaths and accidents as they trigger a, a primal fight-or-flight instinct uh, within our brains and engage the uh, endorphins and engage adrenaline. Uh, even so, the, the, the vividness of those memories is usually not perfect. There are still going to be gaps. Yet we would be able to account for the time that had elapsed during those events or those dates. However, with missing time, the person is not able to find any kind of internal reference at all to what had happened to them in that time period. Although there could be plenty of external references. I mean, just imagine, Joe, that you're, you know, you're, you're doing work in your backyard and you think it must be about noon because, you know, you've only been out there for a couple of hours. So you go inside the house and look at the kitchen clock and see that it is a little past four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, baffled, you go into another room and check a different clock and you see that it too shows the same time. In fact, all the clocks in the house show that it is past four o'clock. So you're like, how can that be? Surely I wasn't out there that long. Then your wife walks into the house with bags of groceries and you're like, where did you go? She's like, a store? I left a few hours ago. I told you I was leaving. You even said bye to me. So you're standing there thinking that she obviously did leave and go to the store because you see her coming into the house with bags of groceries. So you also know that it had to um, uh, have been quite a few hours because all the clocks are showing it to be after four o'clock, not noon like you thought. You, know, you even realize you have no recollection of your wife saying that she was uh, was leaving to go to the store, nor of you saying goodbye to her as she left. As far as you were concerned, she was still at the house and that it was only 12 o'clock noon you would still uh, uh, have experienced the phenomenon of missing time because, one, uh, this was something that had just occurred, and you should be able to recall it with ease, uh, yet you can't. Two, because not only can you not recall it, 
your mind is somehow not even adjusted for the passage of the time, probably because your mind was so focused on the yard work. To you, it never happened. Yet clearly from what the clocks are displaying and what your wife is saying, it did happen. Exactly. There would be external physical references to it, but no internal mental ones. And another good analogy analogy, uh, to this comes from that movie, The Hangover. Uh, you know, where the characters know that they, they all did these crazy things during their night in Las Vegas, but couldn't remember what they were in their conscious memories. An event had happened at some point in the evening, and then they became aware of their surroundings the following morning, but could not recall any of the other events that took place within the elapsed time frame. Um, so even though most of us don't remember much what we were doing on this date 10 years ago, uh, one year ago, or even a, one month ago, we still are aware that we did indeed experience the passage of time. I mean, heck, if you ask me what I was doing a week ago, I might uh, be hard pressed to remember a whole lot of what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's because we're, we're getting old. <laughs> that's true. Age um, does not even, <laughs> <laughs> even so, we could probably recall quite a bit of our, you know, if our memories were progged enough, uh, something could be found like or something could be mentioned that would cue the mind to recollect more uh, or to recollect more details such that you would be like ah that's right uh, I was doing x y or z on this date last year or even 10 20 or 30 years ago depending on how you know relevant the memory is I mean I always hate going to court to testify on criminal cases and have the defense attorney ask me if I independently recall anything from the incident And the trial is usually at least a a year after our response to the call, and maybe even more than a year. And I feel like saying, well, nothing that would be valuable enough for your examination. I I, I would need to review the case to spark my long-term memory to be able to relay any significant details. Yeah, I also hate it when they ask that. And more often than not, uh, even after reading over the case reports, I still don't have any recollection of the, the fine details surrounding it. Uh, you know, it's just not a relevant and meaningful enough event to my brain for it to bother with establishing the neural pathways that are needed to retain it. It's just the way uh, conscious memory is. It's not perfect and not everything is stored away with equal efficiency. Uh, there are some things that are completely forgotten and cannot be recalled at all. Um, just like with the memory on the computer hard drive, you know, not everything is kept on it. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Yeah, but even with completely forgetting things, your brain is still able to account for the uh, elapse of time. Uh, you know, from seeing the date of the offense and the names of the other officers on the case, you will certainly know that you you, know, you were employed at at, at that time as a cop, because you remember getting hired on a date that was well before that. So, I mean, the time frame isn't missing from your memory, just the event. With the missing time phenomena, such cues do little or nothing to help a person remember anything, even the uh, elapse of time from 
you know, or the lapse of the period of time in question. Yeah. Now, it's also important to note that while many instances of missing time are associated with UFO or uh, alien abduction cases, uh, it is not limited to those. Uh, according to the Neurological Institute of the Cleveland Clinic, about 18% of people experiencing experience somnambulism sometime in their lives. Uh, this, of course, refers to sleepwalking. And while sleepwalking doesn't constitute a form of missing time, um, since we can't account for it, uh, there is a sort of lapse of consciousness or a lapse of accountability for time in this matter. Right. Well, that's because we can remember falling asleep and we can remember waking up, uh, even though we weren't conscious of anything that happened between those two points in time. We are able to account for it because we know what we were doing. We were sleeping and hence unconscious. We are aware of our state of being unaware. Yeah, precisely. But with somnambulism, we have this enigma of people not just simply waking up knowing that they were unconscious for several hours, and which is what sleep is, uh, but also being unaware that they were walking around, uh, maybe even walking around performing some kind of odd tasks, uh, maybe even waking up in a different place from where they went to sleep. So here we have the inability to account within the mind of what was going on within that time period, when as far as any person would know, they would have been sound asleep, doing nothing at all. Um, but even aside from sleepwalking, there are reports of people experiencing gaps in their memories while they were doing normal activities uh, during waking hours. As you described in your analogy, Ori, the passage of time while doing something is way longer than a person thinks it is, and there may be little or no recollection of the things that had occurred. Yes, and like you said, in many cases, people claim that a UFO sighting or an abduction was associated with the missing time, but there are some who don't claim that. Uh, some just say they were you know, doing some ordinary things like driving home from work or taking a nature hike. Now, it could be that there was something like an encounter while the person was doing one of these ordinary things, and the reason he or she doesn't uh, remember it is simply because it is part of the whole missing time experience. You know, their memories of it being more or less uh, erased. Yeah, with a lot of these cases, people say that their intuition tells them that something did happen during the, the period of missing time, usually like something bad. Um, they just can't articulate an intelligible description of, of what it is. And if you remember, Laurie, how we explained uh, a while ago on our show about abductions by alien greys, uh, that these are not pleasant things. Uh, there is a psychological theory pertaining to the processes of how memory is repressed and then later retrieved. Uh, clinical researchers at Ohio State University have found that with a lot of people making claims about alien abduction, that there is an underlying emotional trauma that is sublimated in the subconscious memory and that it can be unveiled in hypnotherapy. So the whole quandary of missing time may very well be part of the processes of memories uh, being repressed after someone has undergone uh, some traumatic experiences. Uh, interesting, yeah. Um, how in our last episode where we interviewed Larry, he said that he uh, had a close encounter in Newfoundland. Now, he didn't remember the exact date or even the exact year, only that it was sometime in the mid to late 70s. So it seems there has been some loss in, uh, some loss in long-term memory, which is normal, but he, he does remember a lot of the details, such as you know the disc shape of the object with dim blue lights around it and 
uh, you know, and, and how it tipped and in a certain way and maneuvered. But he seems to actually remember everything about the whole occasion, except for the part where he and his friend are walking down to the beach. But clearly, they, they must have gotten there somehow. But he says the two of them do not have any recollection of that part. And he also claims to have never had any recollection of it uh, as well. So in that sense, he and his friend would have had missing time. I wonder if if Larry was to go under hypnosis, um, what would he reveal? Like, would he have details about being abducted that night? I know he seemed to not think anything like that had happened to him, but yeah, hypnosis might reveal something that is repressed in his subconscious. You know, what I, would, I find really rather peculiar, as I learn about this phenomenon, Lori, is that uh, drugs and alcohol are almost never a factor of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it is, the people who experienced it uh, are quick to attribute the missing time to the alcohol or drugs. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that usually is not the case. These reports indicate that drugs, alcohol or medication or illness uh, is not a part of it. These people seem to allude to doing just regular, ordinary things uh, vis-a-vis being of sound mind. Right. And and when we consider a, a few of the famous ones, we find that the victims of missing time are intelligent and upstanding citizens who are not to, to make up a story for the sake of getting publicity. So to elaborate on this notation, I, I want to tell um, of what I remember from one evening when I was a kid, uh, a friend of my father's came to our house to visit for a cup of tea and to chat with my dad about some religious stuff. Um, now, I recall hearing him tell my dad something about how he was driving on the back road one evening. And the next thing he knew, he was pulling into his driveway. And he said that he misplaced like 30 minutes of driving somehow. Of course, the two of them discussed, you know, how this was most likely a sign from God or something. But but, uh, but looking back at that story, I, I think the dude was abducted. <laughs> yeah. And we mentioned uh, a few times uh, about the abduction typology and how it has been culturally based. Uh, there does exist within our mythological traditions uh, the idea of people disappearing by being taken away and then being returned sometime later and then having no memory of what happened. Um, you know, for them, hours or days seem to go by in a split second, almost as coming to from being under anesthesia. Uh, you know, there is an author named David Paulides who investigated uh, cases of people who had gone missing. He is a retired police officer. And in his book, Missing 411, uh, actually, it's a series of books. He explains that at any given time, there are about 90,000 people in North America who are declared as missing under varying circumstances. Now, he also says that some of these people are found, a lot of them are found dead, uh, but are found in places in which search and rescue teams had already canvassed. And some of the ones who do turn up are unaware of how long they were gone and thus suffer from missing time. So one of the um, stories that I find really fascinating is about an American airman named uh, Robert Matthews. It's in a clip on uh, unsolved.com and it um, occurred on the evening of October 1st, 1966, in the Cape Cod uh, village of North Turo. Uh, this is where Matthews reported for his first duty shift at a nearby Air Force base, which, according to him, um, appeared deserted. Uh, he later told this to his superior, saying, okay. I got... Uh, I'm sorry, Joe, say something? Oh, no, no, I didn't say that. Okay. okay. Um, I, I got off where the bus drivers told me where I was supposed to get off, and 
he told me to phone the base and they would send a truck down to pick me up. I called and said that I was in front of Dutra's market and I was told to stay where I was and that there would be a truck coming to pick me up in a minute. While I was there, while I was standing there, he says, I saw these lights, you know, uh, moving from uh, right to left across the sky. That's when I felt this fear, he says. So apparently he had to call the base again and tell them that something weird was happening. He said, when I called the base again, I asked him where the truck driver was and was told that the truck had already been sent. I said, well, I've, I've been standing here waiting and no one's been by here. The truck dispatcher on the base then told Matthews that a driver went to pick him up at around 8.50 p.m., just five minutes after his first phone call. And the driver reported that Matthews was not seen anywhere. Almost an hour later, Matthews had to call again, trying to explain how those two phone calls were made less than four minutes apart. Um, it, not nearly an hour apart. Now, now, he underwent hypnosis, and in doing so, revealed that some strange lights above uh, above him before any of this happened. So he, he seemed to have experienced missing time after counting the lights. So it seems that he had no memory of seeing the lights until after the hypnosis. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder why this is. Why? What is it about encountering UFOs or ETs that, you know, screws up people's cognitive processes like that? You know, do the alien abductors have the technical capability to alter our neurological substrates in such a way that our conscious memories can become erased, almost just like a you know computer software. And why would they want to do that? What what purpose does it ultimately serve for them? Um, or is it possible that it's just done that it isn't done deliberately by them, but it's more of a like a damaging effect to the physiology of our brains as a result of exposure to say some strange electromagnetic property or space time property of the alien craft itself. You know, could their highly advanced equipment be utilizing antimatter? And could that have something to do with the person going through some kind of temporal displacement that makes it seem like a period of time was skipped over and thus missing? And maybe the aliens aren't doing it deliberately after all. It's hard to say. Um, they could very well possess the technology to use antimatter to distort space and time. Uh, perhaps that has something to do with how they travel, and perhaps they can manipulated enough so that our memories of the encounter seem to be erased. Maybe it has something to do with how they can, you know, better evaluate us, or it may just be like a side effect from the exposure to whatever wacky spacecraft systems and substances they may have. Um, that may be why there are reports of people driving on lonely roads and seeing a bright light descend through, you know, uh, tree lines and such. And the next thing they know is their home or, and they're like, what happened? Like, how did I get here so fast? No, maybe they passed through a wormhole that formed from the space-time distortion caused by being in close proximity to the alien spacecraft and its, you know, super sophisticated propulsion system. Who knows? Yeah, and if you remember from the famous story of the 1961 abduction case of Betty and Barney Hill, uh, that they were driving in their car late at night on a desolate rural road, I think in upstate New York, uh, when they saw a big bright light just below the full moon, uh, they remembered that part, and they actually remembered seeing the light descend toward the road and realized that it was a large disc-shaped object. Uh, they also remembered stopping the car to get a closer look at it. Uh, they actually were able to recall a good bit up to that point, even being in what they said was an altered uh, state of mind and then hearing beeping and buzzing noises. Uh, and then the last thing they said that they were aware of was driving in the car again, this time about 35 miles 
from where they were. Uh, this is when they claim that they were taken aboard the craft and experimented on. So it's not even so much that their memories were you know, erased. They both seem to remember a lot of what happened on that night. They just can't uh, reconcile the sequence of events happening within a time frame in which they said it happened. Um, something that should have been several minutes or even hours long took place within just a few seconds. It's a temporal displacement as well as a spatial displacement since they actually moved across a distance that uh, should have taken way much, way, way longer than it actually did. Right. I, I mean, it's, it's just like when someone goes in for surgery, they, they do remember that and, and the day that they went in, um, they remember being put under anesthesia and they remember becoming alert in the recovery room, but they remember nothing about the minutes or hours that passed while the surgeons were operating on it. And it's a good thing too, right? Yeah. Um, but now your brain can account for for that time in which you feel was just like a few seconds because you're you're conscious now of the fact that you went under anesthesia. So the time isn't really missing for you. You're aware of what you were doing on that day, even though you can't remember the the surgical procedure being done on you, at least not you know much of it anyway. Um, now, some people do say they remember hearing the monitors and, and hearing the operating staff talking. Yeah, and you can also verify this whole event from the surgeons who were conscious while you were while you were not, and they can tell you about what went on in the time frame that you were that you only seem like a matter of seconds. Uh, this is uh, the this is not the case with people who have gone through missing time. It's difficult or nearly impossible for them to internally reconcile the gaps in their memories. And I've been wondering about Larry's story of missing time, uh, thinking maybe he and his friend were physically taken after they went out onto that porch to see the craft. And then shortly thereafter, were dropped off at the shoreline. So they were walking back up to the house, scratching their heads, trying to remember how they got down there. But would it make any sense if they were placed under some neural trance and, and, and then followed the craft by you know, walking under and, and behind it? Like in this scenario, they would have been in some form of sleepwalking state, like you mentioned earlier, yeah, not having any memory of sleepwalking. The difference, however, is that they weren't asleep. Larry said they were jamming on their guitars before any of this happened. So I'm actually leaning more towards them being abducted in this case, or at least involuntarily moved from some, uh, somehow from one place to another. Well, according to an article in the Skeptical Inquirer by Susan Blackmore, um, found on her website and dated March 25th, 20, um, 2002, there are about 4 million Americans who claim to have been abducted and that about 40% indicate that it happened in their homes while asleep. So that leads us to wonder if the aliens have the ability to move things through, through walls. Of course, that may sound impossible and ridiculous, but if they are truly as advanced as we believe they are, they may well have mastered something like space-time displacement, like a wormhole. Uh, but I, by discovering some breakthrough in the theory of something like quantum gravity, one of which we are still very far off from discovering. And, you know, let's not forget that the Bible alludes to the physical body passing through walls. You know, in John 20, 19, Jesus enters a locked room to stand before his disciples. And in Acts 12, 10, Peter leaves a locked prison cell. Now, now while these uh, verses don't specifically say that they walked right through the walls, it illustrates their movements as not being at all hindered by the walls. And, and really the one about Peter says that an angel led him out uh, undetected by the guards. 
Um, there are other scriptural references to this sort of instantaneous and unobstructed travel as well. We find it in the book of Ezekiel and in the deuterocanical book of the Catholic Bible called Bell and the Dragon, in which the prophet Habakkuk uh, is whisked from the land of Judah to Babylon. And it says an angel grabbed him by the hair and took him away with the speed of the wind. Uh, you should uh, check it out if you ever get a chance to look at a Catholic Bible. It's in the book of Bell and the Dragon. Yeah, I remember that story. Uh, and also in the book of Enoch, it talks about instantaneous travel from one point to another. So, you know, after listening to Larry tell his story again, I decided to read up on uh, the Travis Walton case and found some interesting similarities there. Now, in both accounts, a saucer-shaped craft with lights is seen hovering over the ground about 20 to 50 feet. The sizes seem to be similar as well, about 30 by 30 or 40 by 40 feet. Now, Walton's incident occurred in 1975 in a forest area near Snowflake, Arizona, my brother-in-law's encounter took place in the mid to late 70s over a small coastal village surrounded by forests. Travis Walton was physically taken and then dropped off in a nearby town where Larry and, and his friend were dropped off at uh, on the nearby beach. Now, I'm not trying to say Larry's ordeal is comparable to Travis Walton's. I think Larry only has about an hour of missing time, if that. I don't know. Um, whereas Travis Walton had over five days of it. But could this have been the same type of craft involved in these two incidents? Um, could it have been the same species carrying out the same kind of exploration or experimentation, if you will? And didn't Larry say something about having night terrors after all this? I mean, I'm sure nightmares do follow after something like a, a UFO encounter or a missing time experience. Uh, this could lead, this could actually lead uh, some credence to the notion of a traumatic event having happened to the person. But I wonder if he still has those. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, you know, these night terrors or even sleep paralysis is uh, something that people claim to have happened to them. Uh, based on research by Eric Suni with the Sleep Foundation, uh, found on their website dated uh, just this year, June 24th, um, about 8% of people experience it at some point in their lives. Now, Larry also mentioned this with what he described as the hag. The egg or the hag is something that often uh, happens to people living in Northeastern Canada. You feel like you're awake, uh, seeing everything inside your room in its proper place, but then it's, um, there's this feeling of fear that grips you and you begin to hear and see things that cause your entire body to go numb or be paralyzed and you can't move. Uh, I've awakened out of sleep on several occasions experiencing this. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. I, I've had sleep paralysis probably, I don't know, at least five to seven times now in my life. Uh, um, the last one being just a few years ago, but it never affected me like the other ones did, you know, like uh, where I was paralyzed with fear. Now, this one in particular was the total opposite. I, it was like, it was after I got home uh, really late from a patrol shift and it was really busy and I was training a rookie. So pretty hectic and stressful. And I was out like a light as soon as my head hit the pillow. And about four hours into my sleep, I woke up sort of <laughs> like I was now in that sleep slash awake limbo. Um, I see the room. I see the wrinkles in my bed sheet, uh, sun coming through the curtains, all of that. And then I begin to have that feeling, the, the weird eeriness of it starts to fall on you. And I wasn't paralyzed with fear, though. Uh, so I looked 
at the foot of my bed and standing there staring at me is the freaking Grim Reaper in full getup. I mean, hood, skeletal face and and uh, and scythe. Uh, but you won't believe what happened next, though, Joe. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, that's that's scary. I mean, you were like, get the blank out of my room, Jack. <laughs> Well, strangely, uh, for the first time, I wasn't afraid. I was, I was so tired, and now I was aggravated that he must have been the one who have uh, to have woken me up. And, <laughs> and I kid you not, he was so real. It was as though that a real person was standing there. I, I just raised my head. Um, I looked at it, and I and said, I actually spoke and said, "Whatever, I I don't have time for this." <laughs> Wait, that, that's what you said. <laughs> Not like a, what the blank get the blank out of here, you creepy dude. <laughs> nope, and uh, and then I dropped uh, back onto the pillow and immediately fell back to sleep. <laughs> um, I woke up like five hours later thinking about it and what I did, and uh, I, I just laughed about it. <laughs> well, I mean, after having had that happen to you, you know, so many times before, I guess you're nonchalant about it now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I guess so. I, I mean, with all the things we've seen, right, in our careers. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I never had another one since then. So, I mean, no missing time, but a very weird trick for uh, my mind to have played on me. Uh, maybe it was the overexhaustion. I don't know. But uh, the question is, I mean, why did I see this particular image? And and I wonder if there is a way that the mental processes which uh, caused this can be tapped into somehow with the, the right technology and the right understanding of how the brain works. So why do they call it the hag? Uh, is it based off that book, you know, by that Penn State University psychiatry professor, David Hufford? Yeah, the well, the hag is uh, an ugly, witchy-looking old woman who appears to people as they sleep and either stands looking over them or sits on their stomachs. Now, some Anglo-Saxon folklore have them as a nightmare spirit, but n- no matter the culture, they all seem to be similar. Like when the person wakes up, he or she is supposedly unable to move for a while. Now, neuropsychologists, of course, uh, are still baffled as to why this is said to to happen to people in their sleep. So it's just a, a lousy old incubus or succubus, uh, whichever the case may be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a, a, a demon witch. Uh, <laughs> uh, certainly not a beautiful figure. Uh, the creepy, but you know, the creepiest story uh, I've heard about uh, it was uh, from my nephew. Now. He said he was laying in his room and was fully aware of everything around him. He then looked at the somewhat open door to his bedroom, and he then heard eerie footsteps uh, walking down the hallway. That's when he became gripped with fear and went paralyzed. Uh, He laid there with his mouth open, staring and focused on the door. And that's when he heard the worst terror um he said he ever known occurred um the door squeaked open and in walked two crippled looking old hags and walked right up to him and both bent over looking at him in his face and the only thing he thought of doing was calling out to jesus <laughs> that's that's when they left and then he came out of his trance and the paralysis left him and he jumped up and ran next door looking for his father uh, he told me that he would never, ever want to experience that again. 
<laughs> wow, those those terrible hags. <laughs> yeah, I think that's enough to mess you up for a while, having two ugly old witches coming into your room while you, you can't move to run or or fight them off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, and, and, and you also can't help but see the similarity of this control over the mind and body with what is found in the Bible. Like in Genesis 11, 7, if God somehow altered human speech by giving everyone a different language, uh, in Ezekiel 3, 26, he takes away the prophet's ability to speak. Uh, in Acts 9, 8, Saul, before he became Paul, is blinded by a light that is only seen by him. So is this some kind of manifestation of a te technology that can temporarily, you know, uh, debilitate our nervous systems by distorting space and time? Uh, could this also be something similar that happens to those who claim paralysis during their abduction cases? Uh, some describe alien greys leaning over them while they are strapped to tables. And of course, they say they are paralyzed with fear. So these traumatic events may be the causes of missing time. This is what's hidden away in the subconscious, only to be brought out sometimes violently under hypnosis. Yeah, I mean, the, the study of paranormal sleep phenomena is a subject on it of itself. Uh, even Sigmund Freud wrote about what you might call metaphysical roots that dreams have in being what he called the guardian of sleep, a sort of underlying layer to the subconscious where really nothing is erased or forgotten. Dreams manifest things uh, that thus don't let them go away. Um, we can see that missing time can fall into this level of subconsciousness as something being deeply repressed where our working memory uh, cannot access it. Well, then there is also the occurrence of lucid dreams, which are, are, uh, are almost like hallucinations as you are you know, conscious during a dream and hence aware that you are having a dream. Then there is astral projection, which is an out-of-body experience where you seem to be flying about and are sometimes even in outer space with feelings of awe and amazement. You, you have to wonder if these missing times experiences could actually be the result of extraterrestrial technology that can tap into the brainwaves generated by thought and memory while the person is sleeping or awake. So the question is, do people experience the missing time phenomenon due to psychological influences, like from the stress of some form of traumatic memory, whether physical or emotional or both? Uh, is it something pathological? Is it due to alien technology? Or is it caused by some kind of abnormality in the cosmos, like ripples in the space-time continuum, or gravity waves, or really anything else that falls in the realm of theoretical physics? It's something that may uh, indeed take a while to figure out. Now, for our next episode, we're going to continue a little with the, on with this idea of space-time distortions by examining a historical account of a machine that was built to operate by doing just that, distort the gravitational field so as to make instantaneous travel possible both through space and time uh, and it's called the glaca yeah it was uh said to have been designed by the germans during world war ii as part of their secret weapon program the uh, the wonder weapons that included the v2 rocket the the mercer smith uh 323 heavy cargo transport plane and the aredo uh, 234 the first turbojet bomber uh, there have always been a lot of stories that the uh, German military was close to completing construction on the atomic bomb and that they were researching some areas of physics that would have been very advanced for their time. So the uh, Degaki 
is believed to have built uh, been built as an anti-gravity vehicle that was shaped like a bill, which is what its name means, and, and would have been propelled using some un, unknown means. Um, there are many ufologists who believe that a crash of a bizarre-looking machine in Kicksburg, uh, Pennsylvania, which happened uh, back in the 1960s, actually might have been uh, the, the Glocke, uh, a time-traveling capsule that could have jumped into the future near the end of the war. A very captivating topic. Yeah, mm-hmm. the idea of the uh, Wunderwaffen, the wonder weapons, that were part of the propaganda in Nazi Germany was that the very sleek and ultra-modern aircraft and missiles were being developed and that they were far more awesome and sophisticated than anyone in the 1940s could have imagined. Uh, This, of course, for some people has raised the question if it was all reverse engineering of alien technology. So we'll dig into that and discuss the shadowy stories of the Glocke and the Wunderwaffen. I think it should be wunderbar. So thanks for being with us today, folks. We look forward to being with you again really soon. So stay safe out there and stay curious. Yep. Uh, Take care, everyone. Uh, We're glad you could join us today and check us out on Facebook and Patreon. If you get the chance, Uh, we'd love to hear any questions, thoughts, or suggestions from you guys. So we'll see you soon. Bye now.